Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Come on, Charles. Tell us how you really feel. That from Slarty Bardfast on Twitter. The runner-up for the title this week was The Primal Scream of a Tifosi from Jordan W. But I simply wanted to call the show Mattia Bonotto and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Hello, I'm your host, Richard Reddy. But my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the French Grand Prix race review. And aside from it being a race that offered some interest, but actually little in the way of strategy and action. In the context of it being a Paul Ricard Grand Prix, it was okay. But it wasn't the fight that we all really wanted to see. It wasn't the fight that we deserved. But we do have a lot to discuss. Clearly, Red Bull and Verstappen are in the ascendancy now. But even they seem at a little bit of a loss at how much the seas are parting for them. And I will warn you, trigger warning, this is going to be a bit of a rough show for the Tifosi, because the joke we've had, all of us on the tip of our tongue before every race is, how will Ferrari throw this one away? But I think it's gone a little bit beyond a joke now. So we'll discuss, is this the worst ever team race performance of a title contending team? We'll count all the ways in which Ferrari could have won. Did Leclerc have the pace? Was Sainz ever a threat? And is the title done? We'll also have a look at that great battle between Perez and Russell and ask, is Hamilton starting to grow into 2022? And and then Russell with another scrappy and clearly fast and racy performance. I'm going to posit that Russell is a great future talent, 
but perhaps isn't quite there yet. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt to Rumpets. Hey, Matt. Hey there. Currently, I am sweating more than a Ferrari strategist about to meet with Carlos Sainz. Oh, that's rough. Kyle Power. I think I'm the only person who likes Paul Ricard. Ah, oh, good. I can't wait to find out how why you're wrong about that. And Antonio Rankin. Hi. Yeah, I'm eagerly awaiting the day that Ferrari actually wants to win a world championship. It definitely feels like the desire isn't there. How Ferrari bet against themselves. But look, let's have a look at this race and where it was won and lost. So normally, Matt, this is the part of the show where I would turn to you and and sort of talk about the strategy. But the the strategy element of this race, just it never kicked off. It never got going. Um, A lot of talk about, you know, two stops, but it was definitely on that one stop end where Pirelli had settled maybe 2017, 2018 kind of era. Not quite like what we've had this season where we've been on the cusp of two, three. And then just, you know, with the way the race panned out, there was just very little strategy to get our teeth into. Yeah, well, I mean, if you talk about where the race was won and lost, it was turn 11, lap 16, when our friend Charles Leclerc <laughs> found the wall instead of the exit of the turn. Oh, do you know what? I was trying to ease our way into that because there's Ferrari fans listening to the show and I was like, yeah. I wasn't going to hit them with it straight away. Uh, to, to be fair, it, because what it did was it not only cashiered the alternate strategy of people like Carlos Sainz, but also the early stop strategy of people like Kevin Magnussen. So every piece of strategy we could have evaluated disappeared when that mm. safety car came out. Yeah, Kyle, I mean, yeah. Why, why didn't it kick off? Well, as we've seen quite often, it's a really unfortunately timed safety car, like very, very unfortunate. It happened at just the wrong time and especially the wrong time for the two horses. So they'd gone for an extremely aggressive strategy and I was looking forward to them coming through the mid pack. But unfortunately, Charlie Leclerc sort of plowed it into the wall, spectacularly binned it. But um, if it wasn't for that, we would have had a fantastic, it was it, yeah. it was shaping up to be a brilliant strategical race, so much so that we weren't really paying much attention to the midfield, but there was also some good little battles brewing there. So once again, we were we were deceived, well, we were, we were kind of deprived of a strategy thing by the safety car. Well, I, I kind of, I want to forgive that if it's okay with you guys. And I want to sort of linger a little bit on the battle that we, we could have had. So Leclerc versus Verstappen was shaping up to be a really interesting battle. It looked like the Ferrari was was strong, but you really saw Max Verstappen in kind of hunter mode. And it looked like he was doing that thing that Lewis Hamilton was was doing so effectively in 2020, 2021 um, against Bottas and where he would run down the opponent in front of him, the tyres, wait for that tyre wear to kick in and then and then strike. And that's what we were were thinking it was going to shape up as. But actually, I do wonder whether Leclerc had a little bit more control in that situation than it first seemed. Uh, Kyle? Yeah, it did. I actually think Leclerc was playing a very, very dangerous, um, well, not dangerous, a very brave game because 
midway through the stint, like Verstappen was right on him and he had several opportunities, well, not quite opportunities, but very close where Leclerc actually had to go defensive and it got quite tight. But then a few laps after that, we saw Leclerc drop his relative lap time, like not the ultimate lap time because they're already starting to get into a tired degradation phase by then. But he suddenly started pulling out three to four attempts a lap on Verstappen. So I actually think that he was intentionally not going quite as quick as he could have done because because he was trying to look after his tyres. And also he was trying to keep Verstappen in his dirty air to maybe ruin his tyres as well. So I think he was playing a dangerous, brave and very clever game there because I think he had quite a bit left in hand. Hence, he didn't instantly react when Red Bull triggered the very aggressive one-stop strategy and pitted Verstappen early. They still left the clear out a couple of laps. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think Verstappen pitted on what was it, lap 17, because his tyres were knackered from being in Leclerc's dirty air for so long. I mean, Leclerc did manage to hold him there for a very long time. And I actually do think the battle stabilised a little bit. I don't think at that point in the race, it was looking like Verstappen was going to take Leclerc. So in terms of arguing about strategy, I do think maybe Red Bull were expecting to get in front, didn't quite manage it as soon as they thought they would. So might have had to tweak their strategy slightly. However, I do think in the grand scheme of things, Verstappen's tyres were a lot more degraded than Leclerc's were at that stage in the race. Well, what I love about this is that I think it was lap six. Leclerc had just a minor twitch on acceleration and Verstappen almost got him it was he was in drs he was poking at the edges he was looking up the insides but leclerc just managed to hold him off and i think by the time that they pitted i would agree i think verstappen's tires had gone off but what i really want to make the point of is one ferrari actually told leclerc his tire degradation looked good around lap 15 that's when i heard it might have been earlier but ferrari were happy with the way the tires were working on the car at that pace I love that. And I love the fact that Ferrari had clearly made the decision to not respond, to go long. So we were going to have the tire offset at the end with Leclerc trying to overtake Verstappen on this track. And it would have been glorious had it happened. Yeah, I agree. Because um, And we also heard the engineers on the radio going for plan A. We're now on to plan B. So I actually think the Ferrari plan A, particularly with their um, new sets of mediums they had available, was going to be a two-stop. And I think plan B was the one stop and the first stint was actually starting to evolve better than they thought it was. And also they had the brilliant data of Carlos Sainz starting on the hard tyres. And they told Leclerc like a, a, a golden nugget of information there of the hard tyres 0.2 seconds slower than we expected and they are overheating. So they're getting this data from Sainz. So they committed they suddenly realized that actually our tires are okay. Let's push this and extend this further and now move this onto plan B onto a one stop. And when they told Leclerc, he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He sounded pretty calm about it and sort of a kind of like a nonchalant agree. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I actually think that the tires were one of the biggest curveballs in this race in terms of what changed how the teams were performing. Mainly, I think actually the weather was a big component. They really did big up the teams at the start of the race. It was a lot hotter than they expected. Track temperature was through the roof. And so the way that the tyres performed was different than the teams thought it would be. Explain how. Now, well, because tyres degrade faster when it's hotter. So with the track temperature being so high, the tyres will be more prone to blistering, to overheating. And that's when we can see snaps of oversteer and, and various issues with grip. And I do think that that's what changed the strategies of the pit stops from one stops to two stops to then back again. And then there was the safety car. So I think, to be honest, I don't think it was just Ferrari that were floundering a bit. I just think it was Ferrari whose mistakes really got highlighted. 
Uh, okay, so what I want to try and establish here is during that plan B, uh, let's go to plan B radio message. And by the way, I don't think they've ever completed a race on, on plan A. I'm starting to suspect there is no plan A. But when they said go plan B, that's when Leclerc went from defending in the DRS zone to actually stretching out and getting a two-second lead built up. So it's almost like he had gotten permission to go and use the tyres up a little bit, use up a little bit of pace, which ultimately might not have paid off. Um, and then Red Bull responded by going, oh, maybe we're not as close as we thought on pace. And I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure Max Verstappen is very capable of saving tyres if he has to. It's just not his go-to tactic that he wants. And I think in this race, and in, in a few races gone by, we've seen them just him go out hard, wanting to use up the tyres, wanting to like get ahead, control the race. I think that's that's kind of what we saw here. Yeah, I think... think- yeah, I think there's a bit of a duality really between whether the team does the exact thing in terms of pit strategy as their rivals or the complete opposite. So in terms of this case, like like it was said, there was going to be the offset between the tyre strategies, which I think would have been really interesting. But today it was a case of yeah. do whatever Red Bull don't do or do whatever Ferrari don't do. Yeah, and this also sort of gets back to the fundamental battle between the two different concepts of these cars where ferrari likes to be fast where red bull likes to be fast but the thing that i wanted to bring up i don't know if anybody knew but like i was watching the track temperatures nerd and it went from 53 at the start to 58 the last time i saw it so the temperature of the track was going up and that was going to really complicate and that might have been part of ferrari's problem later on in the race when they were dealing with carlos signs maria hello um Live chat. Maria in our patron live chat has said that it was plan B for Binnett. Very that's that is naughty, Maria. But yeah, I think we, we can't go really too far without acknowledging that we didn't get this battle unfolding that we hoped we were going to. Because I, I really do think that that at that point where Red Bull had to pit um and felt they had to pit and go for that strategy, they were on the back foot. Ferrari were were controlling it. I think Ferrari would have ended up uh, a, a one stop and then they would have ended up with a, a much fresher set of tyres and then Red Bull would have that dilemma whether to stick it out or whether to try and put some fresh boots on and, you know, and, and pull a Carlos Sainz uh, uh, there. But of course, we didn't get that battle because Charles Leclerc binned it into the wall and, and robbed us of it. So I guess the question is, was that his fault? I I am going to defend Leclerc because I think that once you have seen that your opponent is gonna is pitting because of tires, specifically because of tires, and it is hot, and you know that the 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 characteristics of a hot track is is going to be more challenging on tires, you make that decision to go long on your opening set of tires on heavy fuel. You're increasing the risk of a crash or an incident, Carl. So whilst, yes, it was his ultimately a driving error, Ferrari have put him in that position where a driving error is is more likely. And it did look like a, a fairly nothingy, innocuous little little twitch. Yeah, um, I kind of partly agree. I don't think he was kind of put into that situation. I think he was fairly, well, about as comfortable as he had been all race. Now, there's a couple of key things to 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 note here before we analyze the crash too much and that was Leclerc had said that the car had been on edge all weekend he hadn't Uh. really been happy with the balance and this is also playing into his strengths of why he was so good in 
ironically in corners like the corner where he binned it Le Busson, i can't remember what it was quite called that corner but uh yeah turn 11 um yeah i don't know the corner names yeah um so so um so turn 11 because he's getting that rotation and the ferrari has seemed a bit like this the red bull seems a bit more understeer and front limited so it's a bit more un understeer and will be a bit easier to drive not so snappy whereas the ferrari has amazing rotation and quite snappy on the rear and i think what actually initially when i first saw the crash I thought he's had a strange throttle bubble again. His throttle stuck open, particularly after his message. He's a little bit wide, but he's on the limit. And this car looks snappy. Science was having several little snaps when we saw him coming through the field and a little rear end snaps. And so Leclerc mentioned this going into the corner. Um, Ant Davidson did a really good little comparison. But one thing I did notice that I think Leclerc, the punishment did not fit the crime. Mm. Yes, I think it was a driving error, but the, the car is so on the edge that he was probably about one kilometre faster than he was, one kilometre an hour faster than he was the lap before, and about 50 millimetres wider, slightly on the dirty stuff. And this isn't like um, the car hasn't gone when he's immediately gone off the throttle. The car is complete, and it's not a traction event, as we saw with Lewis mm. Hamilton in yeah. turn one, where you can react and collect it all up. This is the car's at absolute full full load there and the tires are absolutely screaming at their maximum temperature and it's just got a little bit wide and they had a fine margins it snapped there was no chance to save it and it's gone so ultimately yes it was a driving error but it was such a tiny tiny mistake but it just goes to show the fine margins and a fast car is not necessarily an easy car to drive and it and we've seen this with the ferrari and particularly the mercedes as well it seems like an incredibly narrow window it needs to be tri- driven in and he slightly went out of that window yeah. And to me, the unanswered question for me is the wind here. Did the wind play any small part? Because if he's on that much of a limit, then anything can take you from yeah. being at 100% to 101% of traction and off you go. But this also, I think, gets to Leclerc as a driver, too. He doesn't know the difference between 100% and 99.9%. And, 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 I don't know. Maybe now is not the time to bring this topic up, but it it just, it's not quite a championship driver to put it that on the limit, except for you absolutely have to. And he's still more like a win it or bin it kind of driver a bit, I think. Antonio. Um, Well, aside from the win it or bin it, which I think Schumacher is to be mentioned here because to win world championships, you do have to have that mentality. I think one of the main. (laughs) I actually do think though one of the main components at Paul Ricard we do have to remember this track is the test track we've got slow medium and high speed corners we've got a little bit of everything which means that the actual balance of the car is so so important to a track like this I mean not even necessarily at turn 10 where Leclerc went off but on turns like turn 8 where you're going really really fast heavy heavy braking before turning the car cannot be twitchy and I actually do think that the balance and the setup overall of the car really played to Red Bull's strengths today and is a key component in why Leclerc went off because I just don't think that Ferrari had quite mastered the balance of the car. But okay, I think I think we can't go too far away from Matt's comments because everybody on the panel gave a different look uh, when Matt was basically you're saying that that Leclerc's attitude perhaps might not be correct for this championship battle and it was one of the things that we we talked about pre-season because he's so hard on himself because he seems so emotionally on the edge as well as maybe being on the edge with with a drive with a driver style but I don't agree that you need to be win or bin to collect the championship I think recently if you look at the the titles 
we've seen drivers who are able to play the odds, uh, maybe pair off a little bit risk and reward. Uh, but then obviously my my argument is instantly uh, beaten by Verstappen, isn't it? Because Verstappen 2021 was the definition of win or bin. So I don't know, a little harsh, I think, from Matt there, Kyle. Yeah, um, it could be harsh. But also, as Leclerc said himself, yes, he beats himself up. And I think that's a great sort of plus point for him that he owns his mistakes. But the of all great drivers fighting for a championship, the ability to be on the limit and keep it there for lap after lap after lap. And he has that. But every now and then he slightly goes outside the box when you're filling in your passport form and the little boxes <laughs> and you don't want to go outside. Every now and then he strays outside the box and other drivers don't. And they manage to get it completely <laughs> filled in. Schumacher's amazing at it. Hamilton's really good at it. Verstappen is amazing at it. You rarely see him make mistakes. But unfortunately, this is a bit of a common theme with Charles and he knows it and it's just really unfortunate but also it is it is exaggerated by the Ferrari being a snappy snappy difficult car to drive yeah I completely agree especially if we look at last season I mean Verstappen had to have that mentality going up against seven-time world champion you have to be able to put it all on the line and I think the thing with drivers like Charles and to be honest I think George has elements of that as well. Obviously, Michael Schumacher, I think, is the prime example of a driver like that, especially if we look at his early career. You know, he was very, very brutal, very win at all costs, you know, not aggressive in terms of his actual driving against other drivers, but his mentality was very aggressive. And I think that's what got him his seven world championships. However, with with drivers like Charles, he's going up against the likes of Hamilton, I guess, the likes of Verstappen. And his mentality has to separate him in a way because, you know, Hamilton's mastered the trade of winning world championships. And Verstappen came in with a great car last year and did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. I mean, yeah. aside from everyone's opinions on what went down. But, you know, with Charles' mentality... It's great because beating himself up means that he's keeping himself in check. However, it is his kind of defeatist attitude does yeah. get a little bit old. Well, it's old. I suppose it's it, it's worrying and is it ultimately productive? But I, I would want to defend Charles a little bit because he is at a team that is putting him under pressure, that is continually putting him in a position where uh, he's having to make up for m- mistakes in a race. And over the course of this championship now, he's nowhere near where he should be and he must be feeling more pressure trying to kind of make that up that could well contribute to being on the edge because he knows he's got to take advantage before the next ferrari-ish thing comes along and uh, yeah so i i don't know matt i think as well like the team has got if they've put him in a position where he needs to be on the edge as well to deliver he's coming into the race weekend with a completely different attitude if you looked at verstappen pre-race in the garage whenever there were shots of him he couldn't be more relaxed because he knows he's got a car under him. He knows he's got a team behind him. And he's just, he, all, all, I say all he's got to do, but all he's got to do is deliver and and, and keep it chill. And he knows he's going to get a result. Yeah. Uh, but to me, and actually, I'm glad you bring up Verstappen because they, they asked him his, and he's, he literally said, oh, you know, well, like I had some chances early on in the race. He says, but you can't, you can't send your car off the track. That's a good point. Yeah. Making that chance happen. And and this was at this race. And and so you wait. Sometimes you, you you wait all the way to the end of the race to get that chance. And that that consistency, that maturity of thought is what is the only missing piece of the Leclerc puzzle. And it's not missing mm. by much, but I still I'm not convinced it's all the way there yet. But but I think that, that approach 
from Verstappen there, that's much more of a champion's approach than his approach last year because he was the plucky you know up and comer trying to shake things up last season and then challenging Hamilton but what Hamilton's done to bring home championships and you can argue about how difficult those various championships were but the thing he's done to bring home those championships is worrying about the last lap so people keep throwing this statistic about 2021 that Verstappen led a billion more laps than Lewis Hamilton only the last lap really matters and it looks like Verstappen understands that um certainly in a way that Hamilton understood that as well so I mean quickly is is there any way back is the title over for Charles Leclerc Uh, Antonia is it finished it's difficult to say I think obviously at the start of the season Charles really looked like he was running away with it and everyone put their hands up and went oh Charles has got it he's gonna win but we've seen how quickly the coin flips and we've seen how quickly the tables can turn within the points system. And I just, I think with Ferrari, they have very consistently made poor strategic calls. They're very consistently, I think, let down the talent of their drivers on occasions within this season and previous seasons. And I do think until those systematic um, inadequacies are sorted out, then no, the championship battle is completely Verstappen's. Systematic and institutional. Perhaps. Let's have a, a little look at Science's adventures, and I think that might highlight a few more things. So, Signs coming from the back, obviously because of yet another Ferrari uh, pitfall, which is reliability. Carlos Sainz, arguably the fastest driver-car combination this weekend, had to fight his way from the back. And even then, I don't think it was inconceivable that he could have come in and, and had some kind of result. But the 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 catalogue of errors from Ferrari was absolutely bewildering. So I'll just, I mean, I'll quickly list the fails because it, it makes hard listening, but let's get this out of the way. They had one driver start at the back because of engine penalties. I think the, the, they, they, their, their number one driver ends up going off. I think partly that was down to old tyres, partly because of the pressure he's under. I don't think Ferrari are blameless. And also Leclerc is, is a Ferrari driver, so that counts as a Ferrari fault. Um, they had a slow stop with Carlos Sainz for his first stop. They released him completely into the path of another car. There was that awful indecision about whether to, to go off and, and have... And another set of tyres. Carlos Sainz really seemed to bully them into even considering going into that second stop. They tell their driver to pit whilst he's in the middle of an overtaking manoeuvre, much to the bewilderment of Sainz on, on the team radio. Then another nine second stop and they end up pitting away from a podium. So all of this, I mean, it's a horrible list. I don't think I've even captured all of it. It's a horrible list, Kyle. All of this with the best two cars this weekend. It was a horror show, and this is why I'm making the case. I think that's the worst performance of a title-contending team in any race ever. I think you are not too far wrong, to be honest. I mean, we have seen some spectacular ball drops in the past. Um, so McLaren used to be quite good at it back in the day. But yeah, this is this is bad. They've ended up with not an egg on their face. They've ended up wearing an omelette, haven't they, this weekend? I mean, it's not it's not been good. Um, with the, well, on the first ones with the engine, the reliability phase, I've seen some people on Twitter making sort of points that we need to forgive them for that. And they've actually been performing well, but no, that's on them. They're, they're, they're one of the only teams apart from Mercedes who make their engines and their chassis as well. Absolutely. It's, 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 
it's conclusive like that. It's completely and utterly on them and the strategy side we have seen this so many times we had it back in sebastian vettel days of yeah. the driver having to correct the oh, strategists and call goodness. it from inside the car and it's terrible like they have enough on their plate they're trying to drive the car and race they don't need to think about the strategy as well someone tweeted that the only ser- way they can get out of this is to convince vettel to retire and come in as their strategist because he he, he was doing it from <laughs> the car anyway i think you and i with an engineering background car we get frustrated with people talking about these engine failures as if it's you know an act of god or something like oh they were it's not no that, that it's all about how they commit their resources and and how they function as a as basically an engineering firm it's yeah and testing and it's almost like your due diligence that you need to do but in a mechanical sort of sense when they sort of test these engines and run them to destruction on the test bed and try to you know some some sort of scenarios you can't really foresee and it's difficult to sort of mitigate against but they've had quite a lot of time in the season now and you are allowed to bring reliability upgrades to your engine so yeah it's unfortunate they may be pushing it a bit hard and a bit outside the limit to try to counteract some of this red bull amazing slippery car straight line speed that they have but yeah it you have to own it it's 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 on them and it's really really unfortunate because i think without the engine failures we wouldn't have seen this complete train wreck of a performance this weekend, really. So I'm going to disagree slightly. I think that given the rules and given the fact that as Kyle correctly points out, you're allowed to make reliability upgrades. I think Ferrari correctly chose performance expecting that they could make reliability upgrades, but they cannot make performance upgrades. And and I think of all the decisions they made, That's the kind of decision you make if you're trying to win a championship rather than trying to not lose a championship. So it it might not work. It might not be working out for them in the way they hope, but I I respect it because they absolutely went for it from a, from a power unit point of view. Yeah. But I think in, in fairness to Ferrari, they are not the only team who are absolutely blasting through their power units this season. A lot of other teams have taken penalties. A lot of other drivers have had to have new power units fitted up above and beyond what they're allowed to have. The Ferrari teams, though, Antonia, isn't it? I'm I'm trying to be <laughs> kind. I, I'm aware, I'm very aware that Haas are just as criminally responsible. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. think the issue is with Ferrari. They can have one good element in isolation, but that's not how you win a championship. And I th- it goes back to the kind of idea of this institutional problem that Ferrari seems to be having where the parts of the machine just aren't quite lining up. I mean, they've had various different uh, strategic directors. The recent, the current strategic director came in in 2021. And if you cast your mind back to the 2019 season, Charles Leclerc was also criminally wronged by strategy in that season as well. And it's not, so it's not just one person making poor choices. I do think for Ferrari, it's the the entire team as a unit not quite functioning as smoothly as other teams are i completely agree with that and i've said on this podcast previously that they have a somewhat sort of um, a guillotine style of management where heads will roll and things go wrong and yeah. they get rid of people and they don't have so much stability and as antonio points out it's yeah they have a relatively new sort of strategy director in there and the team doesn't have a time to gel they're instantly under pressure and then mistakes happen but there must be something wrong with their core processes because think back to the glory days when there was Schumacher and Braun yeah single point of failure but I think it was Braun 
crunching the numbers and doing a lot of the strategy. And they were the strategy geniuses. They were kind of off the pit lane. They snatched so many races again from the McLarens that they really shouldn't have won through pure strategy. And they don't seem to seem, seem to do that anymore. And with science, even science calling on, are we going to make this second stop? They ended up doing the cardinal sin of going in no man's land. They either needed to commit really early to yeah. pit and put a second sort of set of tires on and go for it or don't do it at all. And they went somewhere in the middle and it just defied logic. I was shouting at the TV when yeah. I saw him coming out. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, they, they, it was the Paddy Ashdown strategy, wasn't it? It just didn't work at all. Matt? All right. So I hate to be that guy. No, you don't. Don't lie. That actually guy. No. But I have gone back and looked at that pit call to bring signs in. And yeah. I might be changing my opinion about Ferrari slightly having made an actually really clever choice there. Okay. Oh, oh, it was a, hang on, hang on. It was a clever choice to give up what seemed like a pretty comfortable third place to pit with absolutely no chance of making those places back up. Yeah, actually, I think it was. Okay, okay but you have to say why, otherwise you just sound mad. Ah, uh, well, you know, I, I figured I would get around to that eventually. So here's the first thing. Signs was on the medium tire. And he was on the medium tire from lap 18. It was 35 laps to get to the end. He was in just barely third place. He just passed Perez when they boxed him. Now, we know at the time he was still faster or the same pace as Perez, but we don't know how long it was going to last. And what Ferrari were looking at was a gap back to Alonso, which was about 23 seconds. They pitted him. He came out nine seconds back, caught Alonso finished p5 but he finished p5 with the fast lap point now tell me the difference in points between p5 and p4 don't maths me you tell me uh it's one point okay. so he finished with p4 points so at most ferrari cost themselves three points had he been able to not just hang on to third but be five seconds up the road from both perez and russell okay antonio then Carl. That's a really interesting point, actually. But I do think we're being much too reductionist about this single pit stop that allegedly cost mm. Signs his place. I think that we need to look at the strategy for Signs as a whole at the of the race and go, yeah, okay, you know, the safety car messed up a lot of people. But Ferrari were, from that safety car until the end of the race, floundering with yeah. strategy for yeah. signs because he was working his way up the grid phenomenally and doing a brilliant, brilliant job of it. And I do just think Ferrari were kind of going, oh my goodness, what do we do? When do we pit him? We've got this penalty now to deal with. That's another thing that they had to add to their considerations. And ultimately they did make the decision to pit him. But I do think that their decision-making as a whole throughout the Grand Prix was not very well-reasoned and not executed yeah. confidently with conviction the way it should have been. So to me, I think they had already decided to let him finish the race on those tyres and they, they kind of let signs talk him talk them into making a stop and then, and then when signs didn't want to because he was attacking they were persisting with Sainz's plan to stop and then it was far too late and then they persisted with that plan anyway and left him floundering. And I, and I just, I can't agree with Matt's thing where you're saying, oh, but ah, so he could have had third, but really it's good because they nearly got the same as fourth. It's a podium in F1, Kyle. You fight for the podium in F1. 
yeah they they they've tried to package it and frame it as they took quite a risk averse sort of approach to it and they're like well we've kind of guaranteed sort of fifth but if you think about it that was fraught with inherent risk itself because he's having to pass cars he could have easily tangled with somebody coming through and ended up with Alonso. whereas yeah exactly so if they if they i mean i know how fighty he can get so if they if they um if they would have left him out, he had a shot at maybe getting third. The worst case would have happened, he would have lost it. Well, he would have had a tyre blowout. And they, Bonotto, as you said, they thought it was impossible to get to the end. Gasly managed it. Yeah. Um, you know, another, another, and we've constantly seen this as the track rubbers in more. They don't have data. They just basically try to simulate this. So they don't have data for this. So I'm pretty sure, and science was still going strong. His pace was good. He just passed Perez. He was just started to make massive inroads onto Hamilton. So it, it still, to me, it defied logic and they did mm. like i said the cardinal sin they pitted in no man's land they yeah. should have either done it 10 laps before or don't do it at all yeah i think we with pitwall engineers they are constantly making cost benefit analysis decisions yeah. where they go based on the data they have based on the visuals they have and a little bit of driver feedback as well um <clears throat> excuse me but i do think where other teams succeed with this i think a prime example actually is lewis hamilton with his relationship with Bono, his pit wall engineer, is a functioning, fantastic relationship because they bear his feedback in mind while simultaneously executing what they believe to be in the best interests of his race and the team as a whole. And they're usually in charge as well, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that there's a balance between, of course, the driver's the one on the track. The driver knows what's up, but they don't know what's going on in terms of the intricacies of the tech of the car. And the driver just doesn't get to see that themselves and the pitwall engineer does however when they were talking to signs and obviously not looking very hard at the screens in front of them that showed where on track he was and what he was doing they they didn't listen to him and they didn't equally go oh actually no we as your team we know what's happening we can tell you what to do do this and I just think they just haven't got the balance that other teams have done so well to get well, it's interesting. I went back and listened to the onboards and it was it was really wild to hear this discussion play out as he was <clears throat> as he was coming up because they basically said, I think we're on plan A. And Carlos said, Well, you just need to choose now. And they're like, Okay, we're gonna clear traffic and 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 it'll be plan B. But then he got into that battle with Perez. And once he cleared Perez, he's like should we go another lap, which I would have loved because then we would have seen his pace after that battle and whether or not those mediums were potentially going to hang on. But instead they're like, no, we've made our choice box, box, box. And he came in, but in Ferrari's defense, he was not like angry Carlos after the race either. He was like, oh no, the team has more information and they made a choice. And to Ferrari's credit, he said, make a choice. Ferrari made a choice and they stuck with it. I think, there's, also, I think there's a, a little bit of a factor in there with his reaction after the race. He himself has dropped the ball a couple of times this year and has had a couple of uh, less than sort of um, flattering races. So I think he's quite aware of this. He's a clever guy and he was playing the wise team game not to um, not to suddenly throw it around and throw them under the bus when they dropped the ball. So I think he was quite reserved and measured and playing the team game in his in his in his press conference afterwards. But what I do want to get back to before we move on is the place where Ferrari really does deserve a good thrashing, which is their pit stops. Because I don't understand why. And, and, and we saw it with Mercedes too. Why this low-hanging fruit of Formula One 
is causing so much trouble for the teams. Yeah, yeah. and it wasn't just one, it was two. Yep. And look, I, I, I think you guys were being a bit generous too. And I, I, I'm always sort of cautious, you know, when you talk about naming an individual, you're saying, oh, I know better than you. And I'm, I'm not trying to do that. But if you look at the list of fails that we are talking about here, and as Paddy in our live chat put it, launching signs at a Williams, as well as two slow pit stops, all that indecision, the fact that the, the, the power units are letting them down, somebody has ultimate managerial control on why so many of those systems, so many of those organizations, so many of those teams and decisions aren't working. And if you look at Bonotto's career, he was head of the engine department from 2013. He was the chief technical officer from 2016. And he's been the team principal since 2019. This Ferrari team has Bonotto stamped all over it. He's not inherited too much of like bits from other people. He has been an integral part of this team. And if he's not, if it's not working on so many levels, engines, pit stop, strategy, drivers, direction of setup, tactics, Bonotto is ultimately the guy responsible for that, Kyle. And I know, you know, you're going to say, oh, well, we don't want heads rolling, but it's definitely time to put the microscope on what he's doing at the head of Ferrari. Because when he was interviewed, he wasn't addressing my, my list and going, this is an absolute disaster. He's basically going, yeah, we didn't maximise it, but we did pretty well. No, this was rough. Yeah, but as Antonio and I were saying earlier, like I think they need consistency and they need to keep it. So, And he's Ferrari through and through. He's been there for forever. Um, Okay. So I don't think they need to get rid of him and look at him. I think he maybe needs to have a look at their internal Mm. processes and how they're operating, how the logic ladders they are using to come to these decisions and how they're working and maybe 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 <laughs> shuffle a couple of people around but do not get rid of anyone just maybe have a just maybe review how they're going about things and just be consistency i think they need consistency and a nice warm loving hug in a family atmosphere and at the moment i think they're all looking over their shoulders oh. feeling a bit uh, under pressure logic ladders spot the project engineer here but look antonia consistently consistency it's been consistently dire this season is that too too harsh? Not at all. And I think historically it's been pretty harsh as well. Again, casting it back to 2019, maybe even 2020 as well. Ferrari, whenever seeming to be handed a great opportunity to not even necessarily win world championships, but get good wins in yeah. the bag, something goes wrong. And going back to these logic ladders, at one end we have got Bignotto and on the other end we've got the pit wall engineer, say, who's giving the decision to the driver to say to pit, but there's something in between these stages. And I, that I just think isn't clicking. And I think it's the cohesiveness of the team as a whole, which is letting them down because new people are coming into the team all the time. And there are, and these people are very well established in formula one. I mean, the current strategic director has worked in formula one since 2005 and only joined yeah. Ferrari in 2011. So through all of those years of experience, I failed to see how, you know, these, awful decisions can be put down to just one person and I actually think what we need to look at is the little lines that we can draw between positions between individuals within the network and say okay well where are the knots what needs brushing through because something (laughs) it's just not clicking way too much project management speak here on this show so far 
All right, let's talk about a bit of wheel-to-wheel action here because we did see a few incidents and we saw George Russell going head-to-head with Sergio Perez. And I think I'll start this segment really by, I think, emphasising the trend that I was pointing out with with young George Russell. And we should remember he is still a relatively young driver. I think there's an expectation on George Russell that he is the next British superstar and so the British media, British press are, are building him up to be the next Button, the next Hamilton. And I think there's definitely the potential to have that. I think he's had a bit of an easy ride when it's come to scrutiny because there is so much kind of hope behind him. And he's such a great orator. He speaks incredibly well. He comes across much older than his years. But I think what we've seen in the last few races is quite a scruffy, quite a scrappy George Russell really trying his best to establish himself and take this opportunity that he's got. I'm not not knocking that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just think that he has somehow been immune uh, to a more critical eye. And and the last few races, I think a more critical eye is, is possibly warranted. It, this isn't the, the smooth George Russell that everybody is hoping uh, he'll be. Uh, and I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of George Russell fans in our listenership and on our panel. Kyle, I think you probably count yourself uh, among them. Absolutely. But, you know, when we look at Lewis Hamilton at this stage in his career, also very scruffy, very raw. I, I just think that we're seeing some scruffiness and some rawness. Uh, and I'm not knocking that because probably all the best drivers have had that at stages in their career. Certainly Verstappen had also. Uh, yeah, we're not. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. I think the one thing that has been surprising about George is we haven't really seen much of this yet. He's been pretty much bulletproof and he's barely put a foot wrong all season. So we're going to see a few things coming, but with this actual, with this particular race and this particular incident, I think he's playing a bit of an Alonso game and a bit of devil's advocate there uh, with, because he's head of the GDPA, is he not? Yeah. So, um, so actually with these new racing rules, which I don't think anyone is particularly sort of, um, <laughs> Um, happy with I think he's playing a bit of devil's advocate because well technically I got my I got my wheel there and it should be fine so I think he's playing a bit of an Alonso game okay I'm gonna push this yeah. see how far I can push it and he got a bit fighty over it so he I did. think yeah. he was being a bit sneaky there oh possibly but I think the more simple thing is that I think he sort of lost his head a little bit when he the maneuver went wrong and he didn't get a penalty for it and um and, and I feel like he was doubling down a little bit there Matt yeah well I, I think I think I could uh cashier Kyle's hypothesis the moment that Toto Wolf got on the blower and said, Well, look, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we don't really think you have a point here. <laughs> you know, yeah. like when your own team tells you, like, you might be overstating your case a little bit. Well, You're well, probably definitely overstating it. It was case. his engineer first that was like, We didn't have the corner, George. And then Toto Wolf had to keep saying, reminding, just no, get your head down. Like, let's, you know, let's keep going. And I think, I think that this is a simple case of, you know, he just got a little bit hot under the collar. I know we see him as this cool, calm guy with PowerPoints, but he—he is—he is a bit of a hothead, and we—we we have seen it, which is not really surprising for a racing driver in his early twenties. Um, Antonia, I think a lot of the so-called hot-headedness can just be attributed to him wanting it so badly, yeah, which is great. You know, yeah, and exactly, it's really nice to see drivers so hungry to push on with their career and get race wins because. 
I guess in many ways, a lot, a lot of people I'm sure might agree that Russell did stay at Williams maybe a season too long and that did hold him back in many ways. Mm. So I think now that he's at Mercedes, he's just so hungry to do well and so hungry to get those race wins, get those podiums, because of course he hasn't had a race win yet. No. I think everyone does actually forget that because of his position in the sport and his reputation in many ways he's not a race winner yes and he wants it so badly and I think in the moment when he's had a maneuver not quite go wrong it was a bit borderline it's frustrating for him and of course he's going to express that and then there's going to be a big difference between his frustration behind the wheel and how he speaks to the media and how he talks about these incidents because when he's talking to the media he's not just representing himself he's representing the whole team. Of course, uh, you know, Carl, you and I, we keep it very cool, calm and collected if we're karting on our kart communications. Never a misplaced word. But we have to remember as well, Russell was very scruffy off the start again. You know, he was scruffy in Silverstone. Uh, Here he was, you know, getting very squirrely and I nearly came together with with Norris. If you look back at that start, it was actually quite, um, it was quite emotional (laughs) going, you know, back from the podium places. Um, But we spent, Carl, a lot of time analysing these new rules from the outside and if the outside car is something something by the apex something something then they're entitled to something something and you go that's great but this this was about you know a car basically having a big old lunge down the inside and I'm, I'm really no clearer as to then did he have to leave Perez room on the outside and and how on earth are you meant to judge in that split second where you were at the apex and who's meant to leave who room surely Russell the amount of room Russell can leave Perez in that situation is decided long before they know who was slightly where at the apex. Yeah, and I will probably be shot down for this, but I do think the um, I do think these rules have come about as a result of the maybe damage is the wrong word, but of the events that happened last year and the and then the subsequent gaslighting of the officials and all the fans because no one really knows what's right or wrong anymore because there was a lot of sort of on the fringe sort of cases happened last year and a lot of lobbying and uh well what i i'm gonna come straight out and say it gaslighting of the uh band and the official saying this is okay it's all about letting them race and now we have yeah. this very sort of prescriptive set of yeah. rules in place and and this is why i think george was intentionally doing a lot of tactic of picking holes in it and trying to play devil's advocate with it because he doubled down on it in his interview after the race <laughs> and he brought it up he wasn't prompted he really he was really like, no, you know, in theory, I'm the inside car. I, I got my front wheel level with his back wheel. That technically means it's my corner. And he was really, really going for it. So I do think he was he, he was trying to exploit and maybe expose these new oh, racing rules. Are we just trying to establish whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Okay, so there was no actual contact here. But, you know, I think, you know, Perez jumped out of the way. That's why there wasn't contact. Antonia, do you have an an opinion on whose fault it would have been had this resulted in a crash? Who was who was right here? Well, in my opinion, George, yeah, like you said, he was making a bit of a cheeky manoeuvre, I guess, kind of feeling out if it would work out. I mean, Alonso is, in recent years, especially a very clean driver, and he doesn't th- throw too many strops on the track. You know, if he's in a compromised position, he does back out, which is, you know, oh, that's like a, a testament car, a to A car him. strop rather than a vocal strop. Yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit of both, maybe. <laughs> you know, you don't hear him whining on the radio much, but I do think that George, you know, he was a bit borderline there. I do think had there have been an incident, it would have been his fault. And there actually was a very similar incident in yeah. the W Series race where the rear car tried to charge down, oh. literally crashed into the car in front. Yeah, 
rather inexplicably because they were go- going for a space that frankly wasn't there. That I was think George was doing that. That was from so far back. And I think that's the issue with these <laughs> rules. With George saying, um, yeah, the W Series one was so far back. But with um, with Russell here, it, he was coming from far back. And this is always the difficult one to judge, isn't it, Cole? Because, I mean, you can just not break. And then, yeah, technically, you've got your front wheel alongside the back wheel. You can, Anyone can not stop at the corner. Exactly. And I think everything and everyone I said here is exactly right. And I think the stewards were correct. And I do think George Russell was was wrong. And yeah. I do think these rules are kind of leaving this open to interpretation. We saw the, pretty much this exact scenario, lap one, Abu Dhabi last year. And there was out, and there was some outrage from certain fan bases and other people arguing. And this was the same, same exact same scenario. And you need to try to mitigate against people just having a crazy dive bomb and forcing the other driver off. And I agree. Yeah. George was in the wrong. He forced the other driver off. Perez was right to cut the chicane and then give back give away the advantage exactly like Hamilton did at yeah. that one Abu Dhabi last year. It's a it's a it's 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 a slam dunk. So that's why I was surprised that George was sort of fighting it so much, is why I think it's intentionally he's chosen that angle of attack. So yeah, uh, if if a collision would have happened, I'd say that's pretty much one hundred percent on George. And and thing is, and this is goes back to me saying that you know that there's a scruffiness which he is I know I said Perez was was more to blame. Oh, it's it's Russell and Perez again coming together, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think Russell Russell's finding himself in these situations and that's just taking the edges the edge off his weekends. But I've got a solution to this, which is get rid of chicanes. It, this problem only really yeah, just get rid of all chicanes. You're looking at me like I'm mad, Antonia. Just have real chicanes. Are, they're vital in Formula One for modulating speed and it, and I think it's a really interesting element of any track I mean no. the bus stop chicane at Spa is legendary no. I'd be devastated if that were cut out uh, Monza which is like the worst of the European tracks is completely ruined by basically being all chicanes get rid of the chicanes at, uh, at Montreal and we could just have basically a fun oval with a hairpin in the middle no you're not taking that argument seriously right you shouldn't well, either no, huh. I, you're wrong <laughs> Good, I can accept that. I've been I've been wrong before. All right, uh, Matt, where should we roll on to? Because um, there was, in the end, advantage Russell from the virtual safety car, and I don't know how that happened. Yeah, we should probably explain that a bit. Um, to my understanding, what happened was a virtual safety car because Ferrari. I mean, if we're going to talk about Ferrari fails, how about pushing the pop button on Joe's engine just a couple of laps too late for uh, science to benefit from it? I mean, surely they could have made that explode sooner and solved all their problems. But what did actually happen? (laughs) What did actually happen was um, because it was parked very near an exit, uh, they didn't call a full safety car. They called a virtual safety car. And as we all know, that once the virtual safety car ending message is displayed on our dashboard between 10 and 15 seconds, the track will go green unless either the wrong button is pushed or the correct button is pushed, but it yields the incorrect result, which in this case was a second virtual safety car is ending call. And this is where Perez got a bit hot under the collar because he saw the first one. He timed it. He was, he made time. He was on his Delta. He was like, I'm going to be ahead of, Russell, and I'm going to take this podium for my team. And then he got a second safety car is ending and he got a bit bamboozled. But what happens at that point is there's an automatic backup procedure, which comes into play, which came into play. And there was actually sort of a third safety car is ending, which was the actual safety car is ending. 
right. and Russell happened to time it exceedingly well in terms of managing his delta time, whereas Perez, because he was expecting thing to end, had run out of delta time and was actually slowing when the track went green. Yeah, no, I think what happened then, I think it's a little bit harsh on Perez to say that he was caught sleeping, as a few people have said. I do think George capitalised on a fantastic opportunity, just happened to time it well, and frankly made Perez look like he was doing an outlap and letting the faster car through. But that being said, Perez is very experienced at this stage in his career. He should surely know not to be leaving even the smallest of windows for that to happen. And frankly, George breezed past and then Perez allowed a much better battle, to be honest, to resume. And he kind of woke up a little bit and we had a really great battle. There's, I think there's a quite a good point there. Like um, when, when Perez actually sort of woke up, so to speak, I actually think his struggles before the VSE came out, everyone's saying his, his, his tires were done, but I think that was a thermal issue. I think he'd gone, he was overheating oh, yeah. his tires. So the VSC had come out, it cooled his tires down and all of a sudden he had loads of pace again. But with the um, VS, VSC trip up, um, you could see when he got going, he got a big load of wheel spin. So he was actually decelerating when it went green and not accelerating. And George Russell was hanging back and just hovering on the throttle. So he was, he, the, the inertia is working in his favor, whereas the inertia is working against Perez because he, he was just about to go and it was like, oh, sugar. And then had to get on the brakes. And as soon as he got on the brakes, then it went yeah. green. And that just completely, yeah. Yeah. So Russell yeah. was um, straight past. I do think Perez was a little bit naughty, a bit late, his move in defense. And luckily Russell read it quite well. And also against sites as well. I thought um, Perez was a little bit extreme with his late moves in defense, but it was interesting. As soon as his tires came in, we then got treated to a really good battle. Otherwise I think um, George Russell wouldn't have got anywhere near him if he'd have stayed ahead. So that's why he was so angry because he knew that his tires were back in the window. But in general, you know, as a as a Perez fan, I've been really disappointed the last few races in general. We've had slightly better performances in qualifying. Like he sort of rescued it a little bit on the on the Saturday. But when it's come to races, he has kind of disappeared since, you know, Barcelona, Monaco. And it just looks like now everyone was talking about how he had a, a big deficit to make up in qualifying, and that was putting him on the back foot in races. And it's just gone the other way. And from being a legendary tyre management guy, Matt, he's now someone who's, who doesn't seem to be able to hold a stint together. And he he did look just lacklustre all all through the race. And even in the battles, like I said, he did. it might be unfair that he was napping for the VSC one. But just in general, he just didn't he just didn't seem on it. And when he was being interviewed, you just you get the feeling that that he doesn't know why. And you know, obviously there could be differences between the car, but it's just, it's been disappointing to see a bit of a mid-season fizzle. Yeah, I get that. And my personal take on that is that the problem for Perez is the way Verstappen likes the car to be for him to drive. He likes it incredibly strong on the nose. So he likes a very pointy car. And that just doesn't really suit Perez natural driving style. So he's having to adapt more and more. And the more he adapts, the less the things he's good at work during the race. Yeah, that's a really important point to bring up, actually. We 
do need to remember there is a very big stylistic difference between Verstappen and Checo and Verstappen being the you know number one driver per se the car will be configured more towards his driving style and his driving preferences and Verstappen is characteristically very hard on the car he'll break late into corners pick up the throttle very early coming out of them which is very hard on the tires and is to be honest almost the opposite of what Checo does which makes for a really big gulf between finding a compromise in the car's setup and you know there'll be a few differences between the cars but i do think leaning towards the end of the season which we are now and the championship end is getting ever closer verstappen is looking like he is very likely to take it i do think red bull might be making decisions considerably more now to benefit verstappen and yeah, that comes not- at checo's um yeah it Detriment. lets him down a bit i don't think that's controversial to be fair yeah uh, <laughs> kyle there's a, I don't disagree with that, but there is another way to look at this. And it takes in sort of um, talent levels, but also Red Bull, it's beneficial for Red Bull to have two drivers in the fight, particularly for strategy and the team things. And I've seen I've seen this bounded about quite a lot of saying they're developing the car to suit Verstappen more. And yes, Verstappen likes it on the nose, but we have seen, particularly during Friday practice, the car was not very on the nose. It's quite understeery and he was struggling with it. So they're having to use all the tools in the toolbox to make it more pointy now you could argue that red bull are putting the performance and taking the car in the direction which they think is fastest and it's up to both of their drivers to adapt and verstappen has just adapted better to it now if you look at both the drivers verstappen is born and bred to be a champion he is the son of two racing drivers he has been (laughs) born and bred to be this and arguably is one of the most prodigious talents we've ever seen in the sport did we really think that perez in a straight fight going up against him is going to beat him. Perez is amazing and very, very good. But realistically, I mean, do we think (laughs) that they could do that? So I think it might be a case of, yes, you may well be correct that the car's going more in in, in Verstappen's favour, but I think quite a lot of it is Verstappen's just adapting better to the upgrades than Perez's. Yeah, I will note just very quickly that Checo did know what he was getting into when he joined the Red Bull team. Red Bull have been desperately for the last few seasons trying to find a driver Uh, that complements Verstappen in pursuing a title. And, you know, whether that was Gasly or Albon, they didn't find those qualities and they found them in Checo. And his driving complements and supports, most importantly, Verstappen the best. And when when Checo came and he signed his contract, he would have known full well that he was going to be positioned as the second driver. And if it were going to come down to even just a decision between who to favour, it will always be Verstappen. Some good news if you happen to be a fan of Lewis Hamilton. You know me, I'm I'm neutral, but he does seem to be stretching his legs a little bit in the 2022 season. And it could be, I know there's a bit of disagreement as to how much experimenting he was having to do to get the porpoising under control. And you can argue about whether he had bad luck with a series of safety cars or not. But certainly in the last few races, he's looking, it's looking like, Uh, Very much situation normal at Mercedes. You've got Lewis Hamilton there as their favoured driver, probably their favoured number one driver, probably the driver that, you know, development and, and, and strategy will go towards the most. And he's taking advantage of that. And you are seeing, it seems, a Lewis Hamilton that is is consistent, is aggressive, is fast. And it has been a very frustrating season for Lewis Hamilton fans. But everything's starting 
to click together. And whilst I don't want to damn Mercedes with faint praise, because I'm aware that the safety car has has sort of flattered their pace a little bit for the second time, and they're flattered by the fact that Verstappen had no real competition, so he probably wasn't pushing the absolute nuts off of it for that post-safety car part of the race. Something, Matt, is... Something has changed. Something has clicked. It's probably a weekend where the car wasn't exactly where they wanted it to be, yet the machine is working. They maximised it. It was a double podium. Am I, am, I being too, am I being too hopeful? I don't think you're being hopeful enough. Oh, I think Mercedes like is in a very interesting place right now. They are considerably faster than anyone but Red Bull and Ferrari. Their biggest deficit is in qualifying, but oftentimes in races, they are much, much, much closer. And in fact, um, I believe either Toto or Hamilton made a fascinating comment. He said, it's really just about the first 10 laps for us. So we lose time in the first 10 laps. Yeah. And, and, and I remember making the comment, uh, in, in a chat, uh, like lap eight, I'm like, Oh, Lewis is exactly as fast as Leclerc and Verstappen. And again, lap 10. Mercedes, I think, is in some ways a lot closer if they can figure out why they are slow in the initial phase of the race and the initial phase after their pit stop, then I don't think a race win is out of the picture for them before the end of the season. I do think that's an interesting point. However, Mercedes are flattered by the misfortune of their rivals. And <laughs> Mercedes are in a bit of a lonely, a lonely position at the moment where Red Bull and Ferrari are pulling away with it and everyone else does seem a little bit of a leap behind them. But that does mean that when there is a slip up on either of Red Bull or Ferrari's parts, then of course Mercedes get to capitalise on that and get on the podiums. And I think today was a really good example of that, to be honest, with um, signs being a bit behind in the pack and then obviously Charles incident that that's two people out of the way towards their podium however as the season goes on the drivers are going to get more comfortable with the car and I think mm. this excuse me is that for you I think that this is one of the I do think this is one of the main instances in which you know a team will start a new season with these new regulations which are so very different to what especially Lewis is used to and when we're comparing him to George, who has been fighting with a, a subpar car the last few years, you know, uh, George yeah. has having has been having to really push the last few years. Whereas whilst Lewis has, he's been a bit comfortable. Yeah. And I think one of the things with Mercedes sort of getting, getting to their ultimate pace is they seem to be a bit softer on the tyres as well. So maybe that's why they're struggling in the first few laps. They can't quite get the tyres into the window. And we saw, as in Silverstone, Lewis seemed to have the best tyre life out of anybody and they keep going. And as Antonio said, George is coming from a shed, getting into <laughs> quite a quite much of a faster car. And But he, even he is having really, really good tyre wear and tyre life. So I think Mercedes, in maybe the oddly complete inverse to what it was last year, in the hotter races and higher tyre deg races, are actually going to be stronger and closer to the front. So I think we can be optimistic for Hungary. I actually think it's a it's a good it's a high downforce track and i think if it's going to be a tire muncher that's when we're going to see mercedes come right to the front hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, a little bit of a quick fire through the rest of the midfield. Matt uh, Ocon, Harpoon, Sonoda, Boo Ocon. Oh, you're just setting me up because, you know, it was actually, even though the stewards disagreed, and I hate to say it, but like I watched it on TV. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, to me, I was surprised they didn't just say it was a first lap incident because that's what it looked like to me. And they frequently do make that call. But yeah. then I got really surprised when I saw Russell put Perez completely off and there was no, not even an investigation for what seemed to be a much more egregious plunge up the inside. So I decided to do that thing I do, go back and watch the onboards. And here's, here's where I'm going to start. Factually, Alcon was either exactly alongside of or ahead of Sunoda going into turn eight. Sunoda, when he turns in, takes a very very squeeze line on Ocon so much so that Ocon actually turns deeper into the corner. And before he even gets to the, the painted part of the curb has already lost the rear of the car because he's been forced into a steeper line. And yeah, additionally, that steeper line takes him instead of over the outer, the painted uh, curb and turn eight. One bit, the inner bit is higher than the outer bit. And it also takes him over that higher bit, which is what really unsettled the car and sent him into Sunoda. So yeah, his car was out of control. Yeah. But for me, that happened on entry and with the very steep line Sunoda took into that corner when he should have been giving Ocon room. So he was out of control, down on the inside, punches a hole in Sunoda. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think five seconds might have been too harsh, Matt. Uh, well. He harpooned like said, him. He harpooned him. No, he didn't. Sunoda came from behind on the outside and squeezed him onto the curb. And that's why the, that's why the car got unsettled. And if, and if Sunoda had left him more room, then the two of them would have been racing on the other side of that corner. And I was surprised that the stewards did not pick that up. I partly agree with Matt that, yes, Sonoda may have squeezed him a little bit, but I think the penalty was slam dunk, and I think yeah. it was exactly correct. Um, uh, it it wasn't like um, 
Ocon was defending from Sonoda going around the outside. Ocon was having a lunge trying to overtake him going up the inside. So, uh, it, yeah, and Ocon hit the curb, was out of control, and just clipped him. So, yeah, I think I think that is on Ocon completely. All right. I'm just going to say when I looked at the onboards and I looked at both of them, it looked like to me that Ocon was even with or ahead of Tsunoda going into that corner. And that's why I was confused about the way the stewards decided to adjudicate that. And you can look back. And if you disagree with me, fair enough, we can talk about it. But Okay, let's move on. McLaren, um, <clears throat> Antonia, a bit of a mare weekend overall for McLaren. They are solidly in that position. But I don't know. I don't know. A bit better from Ricardo, a little bit lackluster from Norris at the start. I, I found myself disappointed. Yes, a rather underwhelming weekend for the McLaren boys. I I just don't think it was quite there this weekend. There was there just wasn't a lot really happening with them, to be honest. I think the quali uh, performances were a bit subpar. I do think Danny Rick could have given more. However, he has been struggling with the car all year. So expectations are admittedly rather low. Yeah. Um, but to, to pull the finish that they did, you know, I think they're bearing in mind five cars retired from the race. So the worst they could have done was 15th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And where did they end up? Seventh and eighth? Something in the regional? Seventh and ninth. Seventh and ninth, yeah. Yeah, so not too much more to say, uh, yeah, on McLaren, really. A bit of a nothingy weekend. Um, In in the end, Carl turned out to be a nothingy weekend for for Haas as well, which which was a shame because it was looking okay. Magnussen overtook 70 cars on lap one. (laughs) It was actually looking very, very promising. They were both coming through through the field. And what the commentary didn't quite pick up on the first couple of laps that... Mick Schumacher and Magnussen were having an absolute ding-dong battle. They were side-by-side for most of the first sort of opening lap. Um, They got absolutely done over by the safety car. They both pitted really aggressively. We'd just heard from Gunter on the pit wall saying, yep, we're going really aggressive. We're going to get in free air. And they were already lapping a second to a second and a half quicker than everyone in front of them. So they were already just about to jump most of the midfield. And I think we were deprived of seeing them absolutely thrusting themselves right into the top 10. So Haas, I think, were really, really unlucky today. And also Haas have just made themselves the worst car to be stuck behind, isn't it? They, they, it's something about their setup, I'm assuming, Matt, where they've just gone for high-speed, low-drag. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, they have that Ferrari power unit. Second of all, Magnussen is just um, a wrecking ball when it comes to defending. And the car is genuinely fast, despite not really having had a lot of attention yet. So, like, I can't wait to see what happens when they finally bring an upgrade to this thing. Because who knows, maybe they'll be the ones winning races. Yeah, well, maybe. And uh, a slightly less than bad as it could have been performance from Aston Martin as well. Like, they, they've been they've been nowhere. But as Antonio kind of put, pointed out, you know, five cars retired from this race. But a, a point at least. Yeah, they, they they did all right. I mean, there was a really nice battle unfolding at the end between Seb and Lance. And I, I think it's such a shame we didn't have just a couple more laps, maybe, to see how it could have come out. Because we don't often see Aston Martin in the middle of the action. And it was really nice to actually see them having a bit of a tussle. Um, but yeah, again, five cars retired. And I do think had those cars not retired, they could have been a bit further back in the race. So again, profiting from others' misfortune, but still a good race. And um yeah, and on that, I just want to put uh, some things straight. We've seen there's been a bit of outrage on Twitter, thinking um, people thinking Stroll brake checked 
Vettel coming out of the last corner. It was good to see them both fighting. Uh, that was not a brake check. That is one of the oldest tricks in the book, and it's called parking it on the apex. He just failed to accelerate, very different from a brake check, and completely just tripped Vettel up, which is it's rude to do that to your teammate. Very, very rude. Uh, we know there's probably not a lot, lot of love lost between them two, but actually, yeah, that it was all fair. It, it, was, it was all fair game, but there's been a lot of people saying that he should have got a penalty and it was filthy. Uh, it's not. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book. So not a penalty for me, but I don't think it was quite straightforward as the parking it on the apex. If they'd been taking the same line, but he kind of lingered, like you see a lot of cars doing around, uh, uh, say, Luffield uh, at Silverstone. But he seemed to basically, he took an earlier apex. Vettel looked to, to go a bit wider, but once... Uh, Stroll had already gone past his apex point. He very clearly then cranked the steering on to take another stab into the inside to to then block. And I think it was a bit more of an aggressive block than simply just lingering and, and not getting on the throttle. Mm, it was rude. It was extremely, extremely rude. But I don't think it was outside the rules of uh, racing. And to be honest, if I was Vettel going into that corner, I would be half expecting some sort of tactic like that as as i have been victim of in the sim many a times you kind of you need to see that coming and i and i'm and and vettel did luckily hence he didn't just drive straight into the back of him no absolutely seb is an immensely immensely experienced driver and he'll know full well what to expect going around a corner especially when he's in the middle of a battle i don't think there's anything wrong with it at all to be honest it was just a defensive move i think that's all you can call it really you know he covered off where he could have mm. been overtaken from. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, I suppose ultimately Vettel wasn't alongside, so Stroll can take any line he wants as long as he d- that doesn't become weaving. So had he gone to the inside, made his block, and then gone back to the outside because Vettel had seen that coming, then we start to get into the territory of weaving. Now, yeah, I think that takes us to... No, Carl? So just um, whilst we mentioned weaving, there's one driver we haven't mentioned who was in stealth mode and got up and got a top six again, and that was uh, Mr. Alonso. He's good, isn't he? He's magic. Mm. Yeah. You're not an Alonso fan, though, are you, Carl? Not particularly. I think he's a fantastic <laughs> driver. I think his um, some of his uh, outside-the-car tactics are somewhat questionable sometimes, shall we say. But, um, yeah, like, uh, but there was a really good story drop um, just over the weekend about the uh, driver's briefing about them, him still protesting his innocence about the Bottas weave in Canada and <laughs> the whole room erupting and laughing when they were shown several angles of him being completely guilty. Fair enough. Sorry. Yeah, no, with, yeah, with Alonso, he's, again, a very experienced driver. And I think it's really nice that he's come back to the sport because he's come back uh, with a really good attitude. And again, a lot of his comments quite recently have been a little bit controversial, yes, but no, great race for him today. And it's been a great couple of races, really. He's he's put in a couple of really, really good results that really prove anyone wrong who was doubting his decision to return to the sport. I think he's the great face to have in the sport and he's doing thoroughly well. I couldn't agree more. He's barely 20 points behind Ocon. Oh, here we go. You had to take it there. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to the podium. Champagne! Okay, admittedly not the most thrilling race in the history of Formula One in the context of of Paul Ricard, a track that I always feel should be more entertaining than it ends up being. Maybe it's not fully earning its place in our hearts and uh, by all reports isn't on the schedule for 2023, as as rumour suggests that perhaps 
Spa and Paul Ricard will be casualties of that 2023 calendar. I'm more upset about Spa than I am about Paul Ricard. If that's if that's one way to put it, and we're heading towards a Hungaro ring, uh, which is a race that I really like. Again, I am looking forward to this regulation set hitting a, a track that F1 has overgrown, but does provide opportunities for racing, especially into turn one and into turn two. To me, it feels like Red Bull have more than more than one hand on the, on both titles at the moment. We go into the summer break. I think the Hungara ring has to be a disaster zone for Red Bull and Ferrari have to come in triumphant with a one-two for us to go into the summer break thinking anything other than this is a, a rundown towards a Red Bull victory. And I know people might get excited about the resurgence of, of Lewis Hamilton. I certainly have. I've certainly enjoyed that result today. And I think the sport or the season will be interesting and more exciting with Hamilton and Russell fighting for wins. But I do think that is all they're fighting for. And I think Hamilton seems to be driving just a little bit less stressfully. It looks like he's got less pressure on him. He needs to get a few wins and finish above his young teammate. And that will probably count as a success for this season. But I think what it does probably guarantee is that he'll be around for 2023 to try and expel the ghost of Abu Dhabi 2021 and get that title number eight. Here on Missed Apex podcast, we like to give out some awards on the race reviews. One is light and fluffy and positive, and the other is just pure armchair uh, F1 strategist and critiquing of people at the very top of their game. So... Get your answers ready, panel, and uh, I wonder if anyone's going to say Ferrari for the Missed Apex Award. But let's do the, the good thing first. Kyle Power. Cambridge okay. resident. No, no, no. I'm, do, I'm bigging you up first. Okay, uh, so- man of, uh, of engineering analysis, um, reluctant internet user. I think you're only on social media because we've bullied you to be. But I think I think you're into the Twitter now. I think you like posting your hot takes and people should go and follow you at Kyle Power F1. Don't shrug you. You love it. I know you're the sort of person who likes to, you know, tell everyone that you don't even I don't even own jeans. I know you're that kind of guy. Like I didn't even own a pair of jeans. Metaphorically, I know you literally have jeans. But go and follow Kyle at Kyle Power F1. You've not got a TikTok account yet. Not yet. I I do, but I lasted five minutes and then, before my anger level started going through the roof. Uh, uh, we I'll try it again another day. Okay, okay. So who is your thing of the weekend? Or what is your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend initially started off negative and then it went positive. Oh, yeah. uh, it was the TV direction. <laughs> so uh, you may have seen by my mm. rage caps lock expletive field uh, rage message I sent to the group chat. Um, I, I've been getting really, really peeved with the TV direction and their habit of on lap two and start of lap three, just as the DRS starts to be enabled and battles happening, going for prolonged five minute long replays of the start. And they started to do the same thing here. And I was already saying to myself, right, here we go. Q three, two, one replays of the start. And they, and it happened. So I was like, no, like no started to shout and scream, wrote an expletive sort of rage cap block sort of message. I was like, don't you dare. And I think they must've heard it. They like my power of telepathy must have actually came through and actually heard it. So they they, they showed a couple of little replays, then instantly switched back to the action, and then we got no more replays or missed action. So 
Thank you, Mr. TV well, director. You say Thank no, you very much for listening to me. You say no, Mr. Action. Yes, you're very important, Carl. Everyone's tuned into your brainwaves. <laughs> uh, but actually, we didn't see any of the Magnuson overtakes from lap one. We didn't see any of the signs overtakes. Not on the feed I was watching anyway. No, we didn't. But it was because we were transfixed on the absolutely enthralling and gripping battle at the front. Mm. At the front. And I believe it's Alex Van Jean sort of said this. Most people say this is boring, but it's not. I thought it was fantastic. We had a, we had a brilliant battle. Yes, they yeah. weren't overtaking, but it was very tense. So we were rightfully concentrating on that. So I thought the TV direction was a huge step in the right direction this weekend. And it was fascinating just seeing those cars <clears throat> being able to really follow and the DRS not being, you know, being part of the tools. But, you know, normally you know, we were used to the cars. Once they get within, I don't know, two seconds, they've got like one opportunity to get into the DRS zone, get that overtake done. And then they were having to chill out, you know, go back and, and cool their tyres down. Whereas now, seeing them, yes, being able to follow, being able to lap after lap, be in that DRS zone, yes, there was a little bit of a, a payoff because it looked like Verstappen's tyres were were then wearing faster than Leclerc's. But yeah, that does bode well for future seasons as well. They seem to have got a handle on on that issue that was, that was really plaguing Formula 1, that cars couldn't even get close. All right, good thing award then uh, to TikTok star, and I think I genuinely mean that now, Antonia Rankin. Um, is it Antonia F1 on TikTok? F1 Antonia. F1 Antonia on TikTok. Links to everyone's social media in the show notes below. But you've got something like 45,000 followers on there now. It's um, absolutely massive. Yeah, I've been very fortunate that people trust my waffle enough to follow and listen along. <laughs> yeah, but also you've not succumbed to TikTok fade. You've been very consistent. The quality has been high. And, you know, you can see from the comments you've built up, built up a very kind of loyal and engaged audience. Oh, it's it's so lovely. There are so there are so many people who are just so kind, and you know, it's a really little community. I like to call it my little corner of the internet because we're all <laughs> yes. just there because we love F one and want to gossip and chat about it. <laughs> I can absolutely relate to that that feeling. So even if you're not a TikToker, go and check out what Antonio is doing on there. I won't pretend that uh, I understand all of it. Like I don't really get like why the miming of the stuff, but I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the target audience necessarily. <laughs> well there's a little bit of everything i've yeah, got some right. got some miming got some information some tech a little mm. bit of mucking about you know it's a nice balance it's good fun all right who is or who or what or how is your thing of the weekend no how doesn't work what is your thing of the weekend i'm gonna revisit mercedes's performance but not for the reasons we've talked about i think i'm gonna i'm really impressed with how steadfast they are and unwavering in their quality of racing. So whilst a lot of teams today failed to make use of the misfortune of their direct opponents, Mercedes were on it and put in a fantastic race. They they made strategy calls that were appropriate at the right time. Neither drivers made any unforced errors. And I do think that it was a very great race from them to get the absolute best possible result from the situation they were in. And I think that deserves a lot of credit. Well, excellent. Uh, Matt Trumpets, you are MattPT55 on Twitter. And when I say follow Matt on Instagram and Facebook, but it is just pictures of trumpets, like I'm not joking, you do just seem to post pictures of your trumpet in very, like, oh, I'm here at the park and then there's a picture of your trumpet. Do you do that because I say that you've, you're doing that? Are you like, have I, have I invoked that or is it you just have a habit of taking pictures of your trumpet? Not a euphemism, real trumpet. 
Yeah, real trumpet. Um, I was doing it before you got annoyed okay. by it, okay. but I will say you being annoyed by it certainly it keeps me <laughs> yeah. going. Okay, good. In, in the dark times, a little of column A, little of column B. Yeah, mm. and that and my daughter's baking. If you like baking, then you'll see some of her. Well, not for much longer. She's off to college, but that's another story. You want to know what I like? What is your thing of the weekend? And I cannot believe no one chose this. It better not and, be and, and It's it left me. Not be I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna seize two. Okay, go on. Do I'm it. torn. They're mm-hmm. both about Carlos Sainz. Okay. One was Carlos Sainz correcting his engineer about the kind of penalty that he had. Oh, add that to my list that they didn't know what kind of penalty he had. Jeez. Okay. That, that was hilarious. But my thing, my thing of the entire weekend had to be his five corner overtake on Perez because, oh my goodness, how could we have not mentioned that up until now? That was an extraordinary thing. I went back and watched it on the mm. onboards. Just amazing racing. Say what you will. I know he's not as fast as a Leclerc in qualifying, maybe not in race pace, but man, does he have it all put together right now? If those cars can now follow each other, and if we're getting into a bit more of a tire wary window that Pirelli are putting us in, those kind of battles towards the end of the race with low grip, like they were fighting through the final corner, which that wasn't really happening at the beginning of the race, but we saw a few scraps evolve to be there. So I like this kind of moving shifting battle zones over the course of a race yeah yeah and it just um you know the the back and forth of it as perez was defending and he just gradually worked him farther and farther offline until finally he had the run down the front straight with drs and got got round him uh, it just oh man uh yeah sorry goosebumps for me i love that <laughs> I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Verstappen and and Red Bull. You know that scene in Indiana Jones where one of the like enemy guys comes down, slashes swords, does all these fancy moves, makes a big fuss, and then Indiana Jones just pulls out a, a revolver and finishes the battle, and it is almost surprised at how easy it is. I mean, that is Red Bull. They are, they have got all the tools in their uh, in their locker. They're doing all the right things. They're running through their drills. And they almost seem disappointed that the plans and strategies that they've got all lined up and the, the talent and the, the race plan they've got lined up, they don't need them. They don't need to use them. They just need to wait for Ferrari to fall down or turn up to a gunfight with a samurai sword. And they need to keep their concentration levels up, concentrate on what they're doing. And they, they are doing it. They are the best. That is the best driver team package out there this weekend and pretty much every weekend uh you know since the early dnf so that's my thing of the weekend goes to verstappen and red bull now we get to be all negative yay oh no you missed the apex all right kyle i know you haven't got a negative bone in your body you're too nice (laughs) nice to a floor but who can you criticize this week I'm not going to take the obvious. I will leave that open goal for somebody else. Uh, but um, mine's McLaren. Um, okay. They 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 apparently had a really big big upgrade, and they're McLaren, and they got seventh and ninth. The drivers seemed relatively happy with it. It was nice to see Ricardo closer to Norris, but McLaren, you know, come on, we want to see you. It's been mm. years and years now. We want to see you getting up towards the front. Now under Zach Brown, they're quite a bit more of a personable sort of human team than they were under the big bad <laughs> Ron, the, the, as it was before. But yeah. 
come on, guys, you know, it's McLaren. We, we expect more, more. more than you. And they're just still fighting around in the midfield. And this big yeah. upgrade package, I wanted a lot more from them. And it was disappointing. It was flaccid. That's what they were. They were flaccid. All right. I'm going to move on from that pretty quickly. Uh, Antonia, who missed the apex for you? I would have also said McLaren. However, I'll move on to a similar point, I think, with Alfa Romeo. I do feel like they just missed oh, a yeah. shot this weekend. Where were they? I think... Well, they were nowhere. They were they were in the middle of the pack being completely eaten up, which yeah. is so disappointing because, frankly, I mean, Valtteri Bottas has put in some really impressive performances recently. And where was that today when a good performance could have put him, you know, mm. seventh, sixth, even higher? I just think it was a really missed opportunity. And that's, that's why I was so impressed with Mercedes because they took the opportunity, whereas I do think mm. Alfa Romeo fumbled the bag a bit. And and Joe, who's been showing, you know, I've cursed him by saying I've really enjoyed his performances and, and enjoyed him doing well. Again, you know, underwhelming. And then that little kind of snap moment. Uh, I can't remember who he ran into in the end. Was it Schumacher? I think he might have had a little run in with Schumacher. Yeah, it was, but yeah. Uh, it, it was Schumacher. No, mm. oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. So uh, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, to be fair, they didn't really register on. I don't think I wrote any notes about Alfa Romeo. Uh, Matt, who missed the apex for you? I know it was exciting for them to get a whole single point. Don't why? No. Come, the thing of the I know, week. and they're our friends too, and I like them. I like so much about what they do, but I just, hmm. ah, they just, they won't, they're not sticking with anything long enough to understand it. And it's costing them loads in the championship. And, and I felt that way for a while. And that's going to be my criticism. I think they're a good team. I think they have a lot going on, but when your two drivers after a B spec are battling out for a single point and just, you know, oh, look, we had a great day because we passed Alvin and a Williams, then, then I don't know. Like the, the, the expect, the expectation bar for me for Aston was higher. Fair enough. And I feel, and and I just feel like, uh, I, I just, I want them to get there. Because I I want to see that happen. They have a, they have the resources for us not to be impressed with a, a single point at Paul Ricard. Yes. For, absolutely for sure. I've just thought of another good thing that I'm going to sneak in there, which is that the crowd seemed to be having a lovely time, and everybody seemed to be having a safe, happy time. And well done, Paul Ricard, for having a crowd that was pretty good. But I am going to give my missed Apex Award. Can you believe it? For the worst ever team performance of a title contending team. It's got to go to Ferrari, two bodged pit stops, a car at the back with an engine penalty, pushing a driver to breaking point, launching one of your cars at a Williams, indecision on strategy, telling your driver to pit while he's in an overtaking manoeuvre, not knowing what penalty your driver has got, giving up a podium to pit yourself into fifth place and get the fastest lap, doing all of this to finish fifth and have a DNF with the two fastest cars of the race weekend. It unfortunately does have to go to Ferrari. But on we go to the Hangara ring. Please do follow follow my panel. The links are in the show notes below at, at Kyle Power F1. Uh, click the link on the TikTok to follow Antonio Rankin and go and follow Matt Trumpets on Instagram to look at his trumpet or on Twitter at MattPT55 to get his hot takes. The show is at Missed Apex F1. You can follow me at Spanners Ready. There are a few karting tickets left for the 3rd of September. You are now going to have to get in pretty quick if you, if you want to get a seat. 
and email racecontrol at mistapex.net if you want to get involved in the next season of the Mist Apex iRacing Cup. We're always available. Feedback at mistapex.net. I think everyone's been enjoying those mailbag episodes, but wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.